Pogiecciolo. Jake, the sign says tonight only the good old boys. Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. It should read, tonight only the... Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Triumphant return. Must be some kind of mistake. You guys unload the stuff. Elwood, come with me. Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. I guess it's time to do a freaking podcast, so here it is. This is Sean with episode 40, um, oh goodness, what the heck episode is this? It's episode 49, 49, Ricky and Vicky. This is the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. Um, I don't know what the heck came out a couple of weeks ago at, I thought it was my podcast, but apparently, uh, the folks at Feedburner said that there were, uh, some mix-ups and, uh, some streams may have been crossed and they were working on the problem. I don't know what was going on. That was, wasn't that weird that some Sudoku podcast came into my feed? I, I don't, why would you do a Sudoku podcast? How, what's, I, I, I don't get it. I, I do have to admit though, I do kind of want to subscribe to Spuddle Duds now, but, uh, well, anyway, hi. It's Sean. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. And, um, Hey, what can I say? Uh, I, I can say a lot of things. I have a pretty large vocabulary, but, ah, uh, first off, I, I apologize. And I said, I'd try to be back in February and here it is April already. And finally, here I am with a podcast episode. I guess it's just a testament to how crazy life has been in the last four months. Good golly. Wow. And also a testament to how things have kind of died down in a way, in a small way, in the land of Atari 7800 homebrews. Because, well, this podcast has already gone through pretty much everything that's available or was available at one point, maybe with a couple of minor exceptions. So now we got to see what else is coming down the line. Of course, there was that surprise release of Ricky and Vicky, 
which technically isn't even a homebrew, really, because it was done by a professional software team with deadlines and everything. But I'll get to that in a moment. What else is coming down the line? Well, I think there's an XM version of Dig Dug. Of course, oh, the XM still being worked on. I think there were more Atari 7800 controllers released from Kurt Vendel, which I'll have to look into. I actually did look into it, but by the time I did, everything was sold out. Isn't that the way with everything, right? What else? Uh, the Mateos cartridge. Seems that Juan Mateos hasn't been responding to emails. I don't know if that means he's no longer doing these cartridges, which makes me thankful that I bought, well, actually, I, I have two right now. I have two for the 7800, one for the Vectrex. But whatever it is, if anybody knows, it at least can tell us if Juan is okay. That's the important thing right there. I just hope everything's okay with him. And um, looks like baby Pac-Man is edging near completion by the moment. In fact, I haven't checked the update in a while. It might actually be complete. But nonetheless, I've played some of the later revisions and release candidates. And wow, wow, it's... It's just freaking insane what people are doing to make things happen on the 7800. Baby Pac-Man with the pinball portion of the game. It's, it's stunning. And it, it took until 2019 for there to be a pinball game for the 7800, unless, unless you count Jinx. Which, by the way, I know I'm in the minority, but... I actually like that game, or I should say I would like it, if not love it, if it were paddle compatible. If you used a paddle or even the driving controller or a trackball and trackball mode, that game would really be a lot better than it is. But anyway, um, like, like I was saying, FeedBurner was uh, apparently messed up or something. They said, well, resubmit your podcast. So rather than resubmit, I figured I'd just re-record, make sure I have something fresh going on for you. So here we are. And in fact, the day that this is being released is the weekend of Midwest Gaming Classic 2019 in Milwaukee, downtown Milwaukee at the Wisconsin Center. And if you happen to be listening to this during the weekend, come over to the Pie Factory podcast table. That's one of my other podcasts. Come over to that table because we're giving away an Ed Ladin Super Twin 78. We're calling it the This Week in Robotron Contest. Uh, those of you who also listen to Pie Factory, don't expect that soundbite to come in here uh, because, well, Hyde doesn't do this podcast, so he can't drop it in. So, uh, yeah, just imagine that you hear This Week in Robotron. But what you do is you come over to our table anytime on Saturday or Sunday before 3 p.m., and you play robotron 2084 on the atari 7800 using the ed Ladin twin stick but in challenge mode and the person who scores the highest gets to take that controller home and you have to claim it by the time the show closes uh, if you don't claim it then we're going to go to the next highest score and if that person doesn't claim it then we'll go to the next highest score before that and well you 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 get the point but that's a heck of a prize. It's $179 value. And I have a Super Twin 78 myself. And I can testify that that controller is amazing, not just with Robotron 2084 and Time Salvo, but with any game. It's an eight-way controller. 
but there's something with the, uh, uh, I forgot what they call the thing, uh, the limiter ring or something. It's like an octagon and it actually handles four way games pretty well. I've played many, a variety of games on the, uh, Pac-Man collection cartridge very successfully with that controller. Uh, I, I'm sure it's a restrictor plate. That's what it's called. I think it has an octagonal restrictor plate. Uh, I think Ed addressed that in the episode in which he guested, which would be, um, episode number 38, which came out on June 18th, 2018. Oh, that's uh, Paul McCartney's birthday. Huh. Sneaking some music in there. Oh, and of course, um, I don't remember if this podcast had gone on hiatus yet, but I've also launched Autobiography of a Schnook. Uh, it's hard for me to describe. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is listen to the pro, did I call it prologue or preface? Whatever the introductory episode I called, listen to that and it'll kind of explain it. Um, I guess a good way to explain it is if you're familiar with The Moth, that little storytelling thing that happened out of uh, New York, I think. And now there's the moth radio hour that airs on NPR stations and has its own podcast. It's kind of like that. It has uh, stories about my life. And I always have in each episode, what I call music for schnooks. Cause I love music. It's my number one love way ahead of video games actually. So it gives me kind of an outlet to talk about the music that I like. And when I, get the time and bravery, the music that I make too. So that's what I have to say about that. As for this podcast, what's going to go on with it? Well, I don't know. It's going to continue. Absolutely going to continue because I really enjoy doing it. And I really need an excuse to take time to play the games, but it's not going to come out regularly as it did previously. It's not going to be an every two week thing. It's basically going to be as things happen. I am predicting that the next episode that I do will be about baby Pac-Man, which should be coming out very soon. And I'd rather not do an episode on that until it's actually out and in people's hands. So I can get a little bit of feedback from people so that people who don't yet have it know what to expect. I mean, yeah, you could download the ROMs and just play the ROMs in an emulator. Or if you have a rewritable cart for your 7,800, you could do that, but it's not just about the actual code. It's also about the packaging, the cartridge, that kind of quality. And that's especially important with Ricky and Vicky, which is what this episode is going to talk about. And you know what? I might as well talk about Ricky and Vicky. So what's this about Ricky and Vicky? Well, it was released by Penguinet first for Windows on December 26, 2018, with the Atari 7800 version released on February 18th, 2019. It is orderable from Penguinet's website, and I will link that in the show notes. The initial run was 550 cartridges, and there's a possibility of making more upon demand. The Atari 7800 version, it's kind of costly. It's $59.99 plus shipping and handling. The game supports both NTSC and PAL, so there's no separate cart for either region, so to speak. Now, the game was first announced on December 11th, 2018 on Atari Age by a user named Tailchow, who is part of Penguinet. 
by this time, the game had already been finished. The projected release was December 26, 2018, but due to some logistics issues, only the Windows version was released on that date. But that date was the fourth anniversary of the first build of Ricky and Vicky for the 7800. So the game had already been in development for at least four years. Again, that's the fourth anniversary of the first build. I don't know how long the development took before that. And from what I can tell, Tail Chow was uh, the developer of the main game, while another Atari AG user, RushJet1, did the music. And RushJet1 is an experienced NES music programmer, and uh, long story short, applied what he could of his NES knowledge to Ricky and Vicky as far as the hardware would allow. As for the game itself, one player can play it or two players can play it cooperatively. In one-player mode, you can play as either Ricky or Vicky, and uh, I'll explain later. And in two-player mode, each player controls one character and has a separate score. Now, the thing about Ricky and Vicky for the 7800, you have to have a Painline or Painline-compatible controller. It will not work with a single-button joystick. If you're using a Sega Genesis controller or something like the Sega Genesis controller, then you have to have some kind of adapter like the Ed Lydon Seagull or something like that. But it absolutely needs two independent fire buttons, one to jump and one for action, uh, which is usually in this case throwing boxes. Again, I'll get to that later. In fact, if you try to start the game using a single button controller, you're going to get a, well, actually surprisingly fun message about how you are not allowed to play with a single button controller and it won't let you start the game. And to add to the amusement, it includes some uh, semi-crudely drawn pictures of a CX-40, a Painline controller, and a 7800 joypad, just to kind of illustrate what you can and can't use. For single-player games, you can use either of the controller ports. Having said that, though, a bug might rear its head if you have a single-button controller in one port and a two-button controller in another port. There will be basically phantom button presses. Your character may constantly jump or use the action feature even when you're not using either button. Having an Atari Vox connected could also cause that problem. So... You want to either disconnect the offending controller or make sure that each port has a two-button controller plugged in. Either way should fix it. Now let's talk about the gameplay. With all the videos and screenshots that have been posted, I doubt that I have to describe what the game looks like. In fact, by the way, I should also mention there's a huge thread about this game on Atari Age. I wasn't going to track or give you the details on I'm just going to link it in the show notes so you can follow the details there. Gameplay, though, it might not be so clear from the story, if you haven't seen a video at least of it. Ricky and Vicky is a combination platform game and puzzle game, and it also has a backstory. Now, here's the story as I understand it. 33-year-old Ricky and his wife, 35-year-old Vicky, are married foxes. Do foxes actually live that long? I don't know, maybe in... It actually doesn't say that it's 33 years, it just says 33. It could be 33 months for all I know. I don't know. I don't know fox biology, sorry. But regardless, Ricky and Vicky have two kids. The older is named Marie, age seven, and the younger is Sam, age unknown. Uh, for some reason, the documentation goes so far as to tell you Ricky, Vicky, and Marie's blood types. Sam's type is unknown. 
No, they really don't know much about Sam. In fact, Sam could be a boy or a girl now that I think about it. Huh. But anyway, as the story goes, one evening, Misery Dragon, also known as Misery the Inconvenient, kidnapped Marie and Sam and dragged them away to um, an amusement park. And I'm doing finger quotes on that, which works so wonderfully on an audio podcast. But anyway, this amusement park is called Misery Land. As Ricky and or Vicky... You need to go to Miseryland, navigate your way through six underground caverns, and rescue Sam and Marie from the Misery Dragon. The caverns are broke up into a series of rooms, and to complete your way through a room, you have to grab all the keys that are in the room. How do you navigate through these caverns and rooms? Well, by going through them, duh! You can move left and right, and you can jump. If you walk or jump off a platform, you fall to the next lower platform. But because this is a video game, physics behave a little bit differently in that you can fall from as high as you want without injuring yourself. That is, unless your fall involves landing on a Misery Land employee, and uh, I'll get to that in a sec. In fact, there are some rooms in which you can literally fall to the bottom of the room, and there's no platform, so you just loop back around to the top, and you can keep falling forever if you want, or until the timer runs down. There is a timer. The gravity does give you a challenge, though, in that you can only jump so high. And that's where boxes come in. Each room has a limited number of boxes, and you can pick up a box and position it so that you're elevated. You can put it on the ground, or you can throw it up against a wall and jump on the box as it's attached to the wall. But it only stays attached to the wall temporarily. After a few seconds, it falls down to the ground, and you have to stick it up on the wall again if you want it there. Sometimes you'll find yourself using a box to protect yourself from a projectile, and you can also use boxes to defend yourself against Misery Land employees. And if you do use a box as a weapon, it's good for only one hit. Once it hits a Misery Land employee, it's no longer usable and it disappears from the screen. You can also use one of the hazards that are in the room against a Misery Land employee, but according to the Misery Land guidebook, more about that later, It's not usually beneficial to do that, and you don't get any points for it. In fact, you'll need those boxes on boss battles. And the boss battles are pretty standard. You dodge enemy fire from the boss, or as it's called in this game, Guardian. And you keep hitting the Guardian with boxes. And in those battles, the boxes replenish. So if you use one, it's going to disappear, but it'll come back. And you keep hitting the Guardian with boxes until the Guardian is defeated. As for the Misery Land employees... Well, (laughs) I've got to admit that I've seen very few of these employees because, well, I'm not very good at this game. Well, at least not yet. Maybe I will be. I don't know. I haven't really had a lot of time to dedicate to playing the game, but you want to avoid the employees. They're your enemies. In the Rock Cavern, the first of six, the Misery Land employees are construction workers. The first employees you'll encounter will be Dumb Bun, who's a rabbit in a hard hat, and Big Bun, who's a much bigger rabbit in suspenders. I guess he's supposed to be the foreman. Dumb Bun patrols simply by walking back and forth. Big Bun will also walk back and forth, but if you're on the same platform as Big Bun and there are no walls between the two of you, if he spots you, he's going to run after you. So you got to get out of there as quick as you can. Oh, pardon the grammar. As quickly as you can. Sorry. There's also Pneumatic Mole, the digger, and Drill Bat, who's the boss, the guardian. In the Bubble Cavern, you'll see Box Bup, who's a fish, and Humble Squid. There's also Fiddler the Crab and Boss Crab. 
Who's the guardian here? Well, I haven't gotten far enough to say, but I'm pretty sure it's Humbulb Squid. He's the guardian. In the Sand Cavern, you have Scarab, Ghost Kitten, Ghost Cat, and the, I assume, guardian, Lady Anubis. Then there's the Metal Cavern, whose employees are robots. There's Sentry, Foxbot, Tiff-8, and the guardian, Steel Simeon. Next up is the Flame Cavern, and uh, by the way, I should mention that the Miseryland Guide enumerates these enemies and has a brief quote from each of the employees. Well, one of the Flame Cavern employees is named Picky. Uh, I think he's supposed to be a lizard or something, or like an alligator. He, he looks like some kind of cold-blooded reptile, or, as opposed to a warm-blooded reptile. <laughs> he looks kind of like a lizard, in a way. But his quote in the guidebook is, This job sucks. Move stuff here, move it there, drop it down, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm glad that there's a professionally printed Atari manual with the word sucks in it. Also in the Flame Cavern, you have Phoenix and Hot Hog. I think Hot Hog is the um, guardian. And then the sixth cavern is called, appropriately enough, Final Cavern, which is dedicated entirely to a boss battle with Misery the Inconvenient. Beat him and you rescue your kids. There's one other Miseryland employee, and he actually is pretty helpful. His name is Dutt. He kind of looks like a duck. He's got a large round head, and he wears a derby. And you will occasionally encounter him in a cutscene in which he might offer you something to buy. The Miseryland guide actually has some tips from Dutt to help you play your game, too. And he has a catchphrase. Oh, hello there. Even though the goal is to rescue your kids and the game ends... There's still scorekeeping. I mentioned that before, actually. If you hit a projectile with a box, you get five points. If you hit an employee with a box, you get 100 points. If you beat a guardian, depending on the cavern, you will get either 2,500, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, or 25,000 points. If you're playing a two-player game, both players get the guardian bonus. Box attacks, though, you only the player who performs the attack or performs the guard, as it were, gets the point for whatever the action is. And each screen has a countdown timer, and when you collect all the keys in the room, you get 10 points per second remaining. In two-player games, both players get the bonus. And if you run out of time before finishing the room, you lose a life, and I think you get three lives. Now, having said that, this is a very, very challenging game. It's challenging, yet fun but still challenging. And I think the makers of the game realize that it's pretty challenging because if you play a game and you're not doing so well and you lose all your lives, Dutt will come out and offer you unlimited lives with a catch. You get unlimited lives, but you don't get a score. It's there for practice. So think of it that way. I'm actually glad it's there because it allows you to take your time uh, you can do a little bit of exploring. This isn't really kind of an explore kind of game, but eh, you can do a little bit. So that's the game. Uh, I really, really need to talk about the packaging. Everything about the packaging is striking. It really is. The cartridge, for one thing, it is not your standard black textured cartridge that you're used to with most Atari 2600 and 7800 games, including homebrews. Instead, the cartridge is made of kind of a smooth, translucent orange plastic material. The label is just one single piece. Usually it's 
a front label and an end label. This is just one big label that folds over the front end, kind of like Activision cartridges. On the inside of the cartridge, there's actually a volume control knob so you can raise or lower the volume of the background music. I think under different circumstances, it may produce different results. Like, say, if you have a modded Atari 7800 system like I do, personally, I haven't had to adjust the volume at all. It's been perfect for me. And speaking of the background music, that comes to you courtesy of a custom audio chip called the BUP chip. The Atari 7800's built-in TIA actually provides the sound effects in the game. And the cartridge uses nearly a megabyte of storage. 512 kilobytes for game data, 256 kilobytes for music. That's a ton. I think that's more than anything that's ever been done so far with the uh, 7800. And custom chips make that all possible. And because of the custom chips, you can't run Ricky and Vicky in a standard emulator. There's been no ROM file released, although Penguinet did release a special emulator that they make specifically for development with those custom chips. But again, as far as I know, there's been no ROM file released for Ricky and Vicky. So if you want to play the game, you have to use the real thing. The cartridge isn't the only thing striking about the whole Ricky and Vicky package, but the box is too. The box is based on typical Atari-made 7800 game boxes. The background is kind of silverish, grayish, with 7800 in large dark red font on the top. And the title is actually centered on the spine, though, unlike with Atari-made boxes. So if you store the Ricky and Vicky box along with other Atari 7800 games, it's really going to stick out. The back of the box is pretty typical. You got screenshots and a brief blurb about the game. Inside the box, well, physically, it kind of mimics Atari-made game boxes with a built-in cartridge holder near the top, which is unlike Atari-age game boxes in which the cartridge holder is actually separate. The box includes two complimentary tickets to Miseryland, and there's a warranty card with a note saying, don't throw this away. And it has a handwritten serial number, handwritten date that the box was packed as well. The manual is in the form of a large, glossy, fold-up Miseryland tour guide, as it were. Kind of like what you'd get in an amusement park or other touristy place. And there's also a circular sticker with a picture of Dutt, with a caption saying, Oh, hello there. Now this is what really, really sticks out to me most of all. There is one word, conspicuously absent, Anywhere in the entire Ricky and Vicky package, be it the cartridge, inside the gameplay itself, in the manual, on the box, anywhere, there is one word missing. That word, Atari. Yep, the name Atari is nowhere to be found. I cannot say that I'm surprised about that, though, given, given that Whoever owns the Atari name this week, whoever it is, I, I can't even keep track of it anymore. Is it still infograms? Oh, well. But given how they come down on people mentioning Atari, I mean, geez, you put up something in the Etsy store or Redbubble that mentions Atari, it's going to be taken down right away. Even if it doesn't actually infringe on, say, graphics or property or anything, it's going to be gone. So I'm guessing this was kind of a CYA move. Having said that, you do still see the word Atari when you fire up the 7800. Uh, I guess that's just built into the hardware. But nowhere in Ricky and Vicky are you going to see that name Atari. But overall, I guess my summary of this whole packaging, the whole game, everything. 
You can split it up into pros and cons. Let me start with the cons first and end on a good note. Something that I really don't like about this game is that it does not support any high score device, including the XM, which means that once you turn the game off, you have to start fresh, period. And of course, it doesn't save your scores. Also, even if you leave the cartridge in, once the game is over, you can't resume where you left off. A uh, continue option would have been nice for this particular game. And there's no support for single button controllers. Given that there's no climbing, there should be an option to use a single button controller, like say push up on the joystick to jump. So I was kind of surprised to see that. Personally, it doesn't affect me because I don't really have a pain line controller at all. I have pain line compatible controllers. I have a couple of Ed Ladin controllers. I have a Sega Genesis controller and a uh, Ed Ladin Seagull. I have a custom controller that was made from the shell of an NES controller that was given me as a Christmas present one year from, uh, thank you, Jimmy G, by the way, uh, courtesy of an Atari age user. As for the pros of Ricky and Vicky, well, first of all, the graphics are nothing short of amazing. I'm going to go so far as to say they're 16-bit quality. You'd never guess you were playing a game on an Atari 7800. The sound is fantastic. You can't beat it. The playability is absolutely top-notch. It's unique. It's like nothing else I've ever seen. It's challenging, but not quite impossible. And the packaging. The packaging, oh my goodness. Nothing but quality all around. Easily the best packaging of any Atari 7800 product that I've ever seen. Having said that, just get the freaking game if you haven't done so already. It's expensive. It's 60 bucks, but it's worth it. It's an investment you'll be thrilled to have made once you get this thing. If you can't afford it, then at the very least, if you have access to a Windows-based computer, get the Windows version of the game. It's only, what, 10 bucks, I think? And on top of that, sales of the Windows version, actually, believe it or not, are what's going to kind of help PenguinNet decide whether or not uh, it's worth it to do another 7800 game. So, hmm, might be something to think about. Even if you have the 7800 game, you might still want to get the Windows version. The fact is, Ricky and Vicky is a fantastic game for any platform. Now, having given my opinion of Ricky and Vicky, let's hear what others have to say. So I guess I should address listener feedback. I tweeted and I quote, I think it's about time to do a podcast, don't you? What are y'all's thoughts on this new game? And there's a picture of the Ricky and Vicky box. Let's see. One reply says, uh, and I quote, no idea. The homebrew 7,800 podcast hasn't told me yet. Thanks, Victor. Thanks for that uh, helpful contribution. Um, let's see. Richard Troop says, I jumped in with both feet for this game after being seriously impressed by the trailer. It was money well spent. The attention to detail with the packaging and design and the incredibly tight gameplay and level design make this a must play. I played this on my own and almost beat it. And I've played the co-op mode with a friend who was also impressed by the quality of this game. This is without a doubt a game of the year contender across all systems for me. Utterly essential. Oh, and that incredible soundtrack. 
And uh, thank you, Richard. Uh, incredible soundtrack for sure. It's amazing the uh, what you can do in the 7800 if you expand your horizons and don't just limit yourself to, say, Tia and Pokey. There are other ways to get sound in the system, and they did a great job of it with this game. Almost beat it. Man, I still can't get past the first boss character. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll just need to spend more time with it, I guess. And uh, Steve Fulton from uh, the Into the Vertical Blank podcast says, I love the box. I still need to play it. Yes, you do, Steve. Yes, you do. <laughs> and happy to see that I got a email from longtime listener TrekMD who says, Hello, Sean. Well, hello, Eugenio. I hope all is well. Good to see the podcast back for this one very special game for the Atari 7800. Things have been rather busy on my end, and I'm about to move my practice into a new office. Though I'm looking forward to being in the new office, larger and better space, I'm dreading the actual move. Moving an office is like moving a house. Anyway, enough of that. Let me give you my feedback on the latest 7800 homebrew release title, Ricky and Vicky. Ricky and Vicky is a game that takes the 7800 to a whole new level in more ways than one. In this game, the player controls one of the titular characters as they travel through the six caverns found in Miseryland, an amusement, he puts in quotes, park, that is managed by none other than the demon lord of inconvenience, Misery the Inconvenient. Misery has separated Ricky and Vicky from their offspring, uh, Marie and Sam, which forces the adults to search for them while navigating the different caverns to solve puzzles until they reach Misery's secret base. Interestingly, these caverns go deeper into the earth to add to the player's displeasure, and there are 100 puzzles for the player to solve. So, what makes Ricky and Vicky such a great game? Well, let's just say that history could have unfolded quite differently and had titles like this one been released during the 7800's commercial life. Hmm. This game employs a new chip that is part of the cartridge that helps the game have better graphics and the most sophisticated sound and music you've ever heard from the console. Yes, that's right, sound and music. Melody that does not hurt the eardrums. Huh, can't imagine what Eugenio means by that. Oh well. In fact, it is so good that there's even a soundtrack CD available. Besides the great sound effects and music, the game is visually stunning with large, multicolored characters, nice animations, and varied characters to keep things challenging. Of course, no amount of good graphics or nice sounds make a good game, but they certainly help. Ricky and Vicky's gameplay is quite addicting, and one fun aspect is that the game offers a different experience when played by a single player or by two players simultaneously. I haven't been able to try the two-player mode, but the single-player mode sure is challenging and keeps you attached to your 7800. I think it is safe to say that this game demonstrates what the 7800 is capable of when resources are allocated to game development for this system. Penguinette did not hold back in their development of the game, and it clearly shows. This game may be pricier than what we are used to paying for 7800 homebrews, but it is worth the money. And of course, he ends going to the Final Frontier Gaming. Eugenio, thank you, Eugenio, so much for your amazing feedback, as usual. The two-player mode, I've seen that in action. A friend of the show, Keith, uh, recently had a gaming party at his house, and I brought Ricky and Vicky over, and... I saw people playing it in two-player mode, including kids, including little kids who are getting into it. So there's just something about this game that works super well. Wow. Little kids were probably used to uh, modern systems, Xboxes, Playstations. 
or just modern PC games. We're sitting on the couch just playing Ricky and Vicky over and over and over. So yeah, the two-player mode is is definitely an excellent thing. And yeah, I totally agree with you that good music, good sound, good graphics don't necessarily make for a good game, but Ricky and Vicky is an amazing game and the graphics and sound really certainly do help. They make it absolutely worth what was it? 60 bucks, I think. And that's, that shows you what four years of development can do. But uh, that's what I have for feedback for this particular episode. Wow, so that's it. Uh, a new episode finally happens after a few months, and already it's over. Having said that, I do want to thank the following people for their past monetary sponsorship of this podcast. Airshack, Ed Lydon Controllers, Kyle Etter, Jimmy G, Great Defender, Richard Grounds, New Balance Phoenix Stores, PJ Steele, and Richard Valdez. And having said that, though, I will no longer accept money for this podcast. I thought about it, and I realized the money that I collected for this podcast pretty much paid for all the homebrews that I had purchased to be able to make this podcast possible. I don't need any more. I really don't. This podcast really costs basically nothing to produce other than my time. I don't have a separate website for this podcast, so I don't have to pay for an additional domain registration. I just piggyback it off an existing one. And I just don't feel it's right to uh, ask for money for this particular podcast. It feels like I'm lining my pockets or something, even though, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not, but that's just the way that it feels. I do appreciate the financial support. If you really want to help out, here's what you can do. You can support my extra life campaign in November of this year. Just like I did last year, I will be doing the extra life video game marathon for children's miracle network, raising money to help sick kids. I will most likely be once again, supporting Lurie children's hospital here in Chicago. So if you wish to show some financial support, please donate to that. I will link my donation page in the show notes. And I guess I should mention autobiography of a schnook. Once again, my other podcast besides pie factory podcast, that actually does cost me a little bit of money. So, uh, uh, it would help if you donate toward that. Any money sent to me in the name of Autobiography of a Schnook goes directly to that podcast. It'll cover domain name renewal, hosting services. Um, I just might invest in some advertising as well. Uh, not, not like TV advertising or something like that. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not rich. I'm just a schnook. But having said that, thank you all for listening. I will get back to you hopefully soon on another homebrew and it looks like it's gonna be baby pac-man in the meantime don't forget i will be at midwest gaming classic at the pie factory podcast table so come visit us and um, potentially win yourself an ed ladden super twin 78 controller those things are amazing and before i leave as usual i want to remind you please give these hard-working homebrew developers the support that they deserve 